All right, happy Monday. Now, by uh, the time the drama... Oh, happy, 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 happy next, times. <laughs> yeah, here's what I'm, I'm going to run it down. By the time the Toronto Maple Leafs play their next game, Friday night, quite possible they're no longer in first in the North Division. Jets have three games between now and then, four points back. Raptors season, oh, it's, uh, it's coming apart at the seams, understandably. But here's good news for you, you massive Swifty. Taylor Swift winning Album of the Year at the Grammys yesterday. So you know what? That probably eradicates your negative feelings about the pro sports in this city, right? The question is, for which one? Uh, folk something? Folk, yeah, folklore. What, what? Folklore? Folk folk, okay, folk, let's get off this folk, topic immediately folk. so that I don't for have an aneurysm. I don't need this from you today. I really don't. I don't need this tr- kind of trolley behavior. I'm down an hour of sleep. It's out there somewhere in the ether. My hour, my missing hour of sleep. I want it. I want it back because I'm already edgy about what's going on with the Toronto sports teams. And thank God my big, beautiful son, Alec Manoa, is striking Mm. suckers out down in Dunedin. He's just ripping fastballs 95. Otherwise, I would have nothing. Yeah. He spits on 95. 95 grosses him out. Yeah, I saw he 95 he 98, come yeah. But yeah. he's throwing he's, 95 ooh. routinely. Yeah, no big deal. Um, yeah, I would like for him to come on our show before I give yeah. my whole heart to Alec Manoa, but you're right. That he's was also a mitigating. You're right. For me, for a non-Swifty, that's yeah. what got me through the weekend was Alec Manoa being yeah. the talk of spring training, not just from a Blue Jays perspective, but, yeah, taking the world by storm. But for you, it's Taylor Swift and then Alec Manoa. You're right. Thank yeah. you for mitigating that. How's your weekend? Yeah, the Grammys are huge in this household. <laughs> we figured this was my reaction. We still have the Grammys? No, I know. I was surprised. And wasn't there a lot of boycotting of the, the Grammys? Who cares? Honestly. Yeah, my wife cares? was watching it next to yeah. me. She seemed. She said Trevor Noah did a great job. That's my Grammys report sponsored by nobody. I just read Trevor Noah's book. It was really good. Very eye-opening stuff. I, I got to admit that... It totally changed my opinion on Trevor Noah. I used to not be a fan because I was such a big mm-hmm. John Stewart guy, and mm-hmm. it was just an impossible pivot to have anyone host a show that was one of the most influential in my entire life, and I never knew who Trevor Noah was other than getting leaked YouTube clips of his stand-up that didn't go very well, so never really got a fair shake. His book is incredible. Highly, highly, All highly bad. recommend. All anyway, bad. Toronto Sports, disaster. Disaster times. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> a week and a half ago, we're sitting here talking about the Leafs and how it's over. The division's done. Call the race. Say two. Say fini. They've just gapped the field. And yeah, okay, Winnipeg is there. But why is Winnipeg's record good? Well, it's because they haven't faced the Leafs. And then it's a couple of crappy efforts against Vancouver, which you kind of dismiss and say, hey, You were due for something like that. That's no problem. That's no big deal. The Jets is how you'll measure yourself. Two good games against the Jets, which count. We got to count those two good games against the Jets. I feel the same way as before against Winnipeg, which is the Leafs had one flat-footed effort against them at this point, and they got punished for it, and they didn't look like they were as good. But for the most part, I do believe that the Leafs – are the better team when fully healthy. They've also got more upside. But after these last two games, I would say it's it's truly not a panic alarm situation, but there's definitely some red flags now that have popped up, 
And going into a week that is basically going to be narrative and trade talk until Friday, you got to think that even in that building, those guys are having discussions about certain things that maybe they were not before. Yeah, well, I'm having discussions about things that I wasn't before. Here's the thing I was having a discussion about all season long, explicitly in my own head to my wife, who wants me to shut up, on the radio, was that this blue line was so much better because there were no Cody CCs throwing pizzas up the middle. There were no brutal breakouts that end up with a 60-second shift in your own zone. That was happening. That was the biggest difference for this Toronto Maple Leafs team. It wasn't, hey, Austin Matthews is going to score 50 and 50. Yeah, yeah, Austin Matthews is a great goal scorer. He's been the greatest goal scorer in the National Hockey League five-on-five since he entered the league. That's not a surprise. We know what Austin Matthews is. What we didn't know was that this blue line was capable of the things they were capable, and it was exemplified in the three-game series against the Edmonton Oilers in Edmonton. That's been the story of this Leafs team. How good the blue line's been, how responsible this team has been defensively, how the brutal turnovers that result in odd man rush after odd man rush and high danger chance after high danger chance hadn't been happening. And you can win one goal games like they were early in the season. What has happened in the last couple of games, and if you want to take it back into the Vancouver games as well, and Jeldon Keefe has been explicit about this. It's the reason why they lost the first Winnipeg game outside of the goaltending thing is every mistake ends up in their own net and they're making mistakes now the defense is coughing up pucks morgan riley tj brody take your pick these guys are making mistakes where earlier in the season they were not doing that to me it's been a combination of the following things the blue line making pretty aggressively bad decisions some of the forwards have done that too, right? There was a game where Mitch Marner had a bunch of turnovers, was awful against Winnipeg, really hurt them. They, they're not exempt, but you're right. right. There have been far too many highlights recently of just complete mental breakdowns from every single one of their defensemen. Correct. Even the stuff that we were seeing last night from TJ Brody, yeah, he gets basically the most of the pass, mm-hmm. but... That's not something that we're accustomed to seeing this year. So Didn't yes, see the guy there has come been off the bench. Yeah. there has been a little, there has been a let up from where they were earlier in the year, and it's hard too because I really don't want to be overreactionary because in that Winnipeg game they were making those brain farts and then tightening it all up and looking great for long stretches, but then it would be an, a bad change here or a bad turnover here, so. I don't want to go and say, well, this is what we feared. It was the complacency and all this other stuff, right? But if we're measuring this Leafs team against Leafs teams of the past, which is what we said we were going to be doing all regular season, Leafs have been prone to these regular season let-ups at certain points of the year every single season, including last year. Sheldon Keefe comes in. Things are going great. Things start off red hot. The offense looks good. All of a sudden, Tyson Berry is getting points. And then what happens? They hit a skid. And this is what's happening again. They're showing that they're still prone to these things. So the sloppy mistakes and those moments in games where all of a sudden they go flat, they've been a problem before. And they're a problem with a lot of hockey teams. This is not, again, a Toronto-exclusive problem. It's just that this Toronto team is held to a different standard right now. And I'm sorry, but losing to... Joey DeCord, who, great story, 
Mm-hmm. That's not the Zamboni driver, but it's not great. It's not a good look. <laughs> His uh, AHL numbers, he's, it's not like he put up a 970 in the AHL. No, man. He didn't know he was getting the start, and he's uh, there's a reason why he was so emotional at the end of that game is because he defied a lot of odds to get that done, especially against the Leafs. So sloppy mistakes and moments of let-up have obviously hurt this team. The penalty kill is officially a problem. And we'll talk to Bourne later and ask him what he thinks it is. I think a large part of that is Freddie Anderson and the goaltending. Is If you look at Freddie's season, where he's been getting killed, and if you want to look at the save percentage and all of these numbers that people keep throwing out, it's that the guy has not been able to come up with stops on the penalty kill. And if you want to criticize his play, I think this is the number one area where you look at it and say, hey, what's happening here? Because obviously they're more dangerous opportunities. Obviously, they don't count quite the same as soft, even-strength goals. But the scariest thing I think you can believe is that the Leafs can't scheme up a better penalty kill because their goaltender just really suffers in this area. And when you give those kinds of clean looks to teams, he can't stop them. Well, I think it it plays into the entire Freddie Anderson narrative of the season. It's a guy's been pretty good five on five, and the Leafs are still a top five team in five on five save percentage. But it's the thing we just said. They're making mistakes where earlier in the season they weren't, and they're all ending up in the back of their net, which is, hey, man, that happens, and you shouldn't make mistakes because those are high-danger opportunities. But mm-hmm. you, those can be mitigated by spectacular saves. Your goalie mm-hmm. bailing you out. Freddie Anderson, for large swaths of the season, has not bailed this team out. And mm-hmm. penalty kill is the, the biggest area where you can get bailed out. He just has not bailed this team out when they've taken penalties. And the penalty kill is as poor as it's been this year. So, yeah, there's some things that aren't Freddie Anderson's fault, like soft clears, Right. Jake Muzzin putting the puck up the middle uncharacteristically like Jake Muzzin. So there's got to be a finer attention to detail clearly knowing that your goaltender struggles in this spot and that these are the moments of the games where you're most vulnerable to your opponent. But you're right. If there is a real criticism of Freddie Anderson, it has been, hey, how many games have you stolen this year? My counter would be there wouldn't, there shouldn't be that many because he hasn't been asked to steal that many. But during this losing skid, where, what have they lost, five of six? Yes. Hasn't stolen them a game. Thought he almost stole them that Ottawa game because he made 11 stops as soon as Michael Hutchison gets pulled. Leafs were still not looking very good. Made 11 saves in that first period, and I thought, okay, good. That's huge. They needed you to do that. You let one in, and the game is over. But again, later in the game, it ends up in the back of their net. How? Power play. It just they, They're giving one up a night, and at this point, they're 21st in the NHL in penalty kill. And if you look at the teams below them, it's a, it's a pretty ugly list. So, you know, if you just take out teams like Nashville and Jersey and, uh, what, Detroit, uh, the Senators, there are certain teams in the NHL right now that you almost don't even count when you look at these team statistics because they're just basically the walking dead through this season. The Leafs, to me, at least in teams that are trying to win this year, are bottom five in the NHL when it comes to penalty kill. It's bad. It's a real problem. And one of the things that they need to figure out this week while they're off is, hey, how do we get better at this? What are we going to do here? What's going to be the approach? So, yeah, I think it's... They face some good teams in the Jets. They've had some bad goaltending or some subpar goaltending because I wouldn't 
it, it's, it's no, always you're right. very hard, but it hasn't no, been good a, enough. No, it hasn't been good enough. It is not bad goaltending. Like, again, if you're a Leaf fan... Well, Michael and, Hutchinson was pretty bad. Yes, but that's Michael Hutchison. Like, <laughs> yeah. first of all, he came into that thing with, what, a 940 yeah. save percentage? There's a reason why the uh, Kyle Dubas, like, bent himself into a pretzel to keep Michael Hutchison as far away from the National Hockey League to start the season as possible, even if it meant sacrificing a roster spot to Arundel. Like, he was hoping against hope he could just keep Arundel, sneak him through waivers, and he couldn't. And, he's, and the nightmare scenario has presented himself with a couple of goalie injuries and Michael Hutchison back in our lives. So, yeah. Michael Hutchinson was not going to have a 940 save percentage. In fact, he's not a National Hockey League goaltender. We all know this. We're aware of it. What you've gotten out of Michael Hutchinson is way more above and beyond what you ever thought you would get from him ever again. So, yeah, you can't... I mean, you can fault Michael Hutchinson, but Michael Hutchinson is Michael Hutchinson. That's bad goaltending, though. That, that, is, that is what you saw from Michael Hutchison, what you've experienced from Michael Hutchison. That's bad goaltending. And look around this division. Some of the teams have it. That's a night-in, night-out situation for some of the teams in this division. Frederick Anderson is not a bad goaltender. But he's not the best goaltender in the division either. And he hasn't, by and large, won you games on his own. He's not a bad goaltender, yeah. but it, this is not a team that should be reliant upon their goaltender. They're not, but everybody is at some point. You're right. Okay, so five on five, I think it's a 925 save percentage, right? That's how good he's been five on five. But I guess that's what's becoming more and more clear is that Freddie Anderson's not a good high danger goalie. I don't know what other conclusion that you can draw from this sample. And yeah, that's pretty scary because those moments, those games, that's what everyone tries to point to with him, right? That's what everyone tries to say that loves to criticize, which is, oh, well, he never comes up with the big save, which is obviously a ridiculous thing to say. And you can point to just about every single game where a goalie makes a 10-bell save or that Freddie Anderson makes a big one, but that the high-danger save percentage is not exactly what you'd like to see. And if there's one place where he really does need to step up his play, it's the penalty kill. And if he's able to do that, I think that, yeah, he probably gets a little bit of benefit of the doubt. The other part of it, though, is that what we always say with that guy is he's such a confidence player. You can really tell when it's a bad Freddie Anderson night and versus when it's a good one from his body language and the way he plays. It, right now, you know it's, it's not a good Freddie Anderson. And I thought the one benefit of last night was he gets thrown into a game where he's coming in cold and blah, 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 and he made those 11 saves. It just it messed up his routine, and I thought hopefully this will take him out of his head and... For the most part, you got to imagine that it it was okay. Maybe that does help him get back on track a little bit, but it would have been really nice for him to have not given one up or only won the Leafs to win that game and the story being that Freddie Anderson came in and bailed them out from just his mental standpoint moving forward, going into this week, going into five days off where he doesn't have to think about, hey, what am I doing? Is it my positioning? Is it, you know, it just, that would have been nice. So... I, I can't read a person's mind. I don't no. know what a person's thinking. But anecdotally, Frederick Anderson has struggled when there's been real competition for his starting spot. It has not gone well. It's, 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 it's been a Carson Wentz situation at times for him when the focus has been on Jack Campbell. He's played well and people pushing for more Jack Campbell. Frederick Anderson has not responded well. And I wonder if 
the, the same thing is happening with the pending unrestricted free agency that I wonder if that's playing in here at all because you're right like he is a guy that seems pretty emotional that there are but things... he was going fine again this is what's so silly about a lot of the narrative with Freddie Anderson is that the season was good and that we've already acknowledged I think for the most part rational people that the all situation save percentage is kind of more of a narrative fitting thing than it is an actual commentary on the season for the most part, I believe that Freddie Anderson has become this polarizing player and most people are either in one camp or the other. And I know a lot of people listening to this right now think I'm in the defend Freddie Anderson at all costs camp. I, I don't care. I want the Leafs to win. I'm going to try to evaluate this team as fairly as possible. It's just my opinion that I don't think he has been horrific this season or that there is some fatal flaw with him. I do know about the playoff losses. I also know that he's had some pretty damn good playoff games and that those small samples are... Do I believe in clutch? Yep. Do I think Freddie Anderson's it? Can't, can't say for sure. But I do know that they lost to Boston twice in seven-game series and then once to a Washington Capitals team they were overwhelmed by and that they didn't make the playoffs when they faced the Columbus Blue Jackets. They came out of a pandemic and played a five-game series where they lost in five games to a team that matched up very well against them and also got super hot goaltending. I don't look at that sample and say, well, now we know what Freddie Anderson is. I think that's nuts. I think over the course of his career, he's been a guy who is rides the very, very highs and then some very, very lows. And last year, he became this really big point of debate. But it was my opinion that if you put better defensive play in front of him, he would normalize because last year was a disaster. Now... We're back into that phase where the Leafs, the Leafs blue line has been way better this year. There's no doubt about it. Their competition has not been very good this year. There's no doubt about it. Even if those teams are better than we think, they weren't that good against the Leafs. They've now come back into one of those points where it seems like those things are matching up again. The mistakes, but also too many goals. And so we're going to just continue to have this discussion. The way I look at it is simply this. He's not exempt. It's just that I'm able to identify that there's more than just the goalie letting in bad goals is the problem here. And so if the Leafs want to take that step, if they want to win these playoff series, if they want to build those quote-unquote winning habits, it's going to take two things. Still, more attention to detail when it comes to zone exits, the penalty kill, and avoiding high-danger opportunities – and their goaltender making sure that when some of those happen, because they do, and they'll never go away completely, no. that he makes an extra save or two. Because that's the difference in these games, like for Freddie Anderson, is, hey, man, if you can just knock it down to three goals against, then this team should right. be able to win. When you're giving up five, they're dead. You got to make two of these saves, man. You got to. It was unrealistic to expect this team to play like they played in that Oilers series all season long. Like, no team plays like that. That's the greatest team that ever lived. I was on the road against the the best player in the National Hockey League, completely shutting them down. couple yeah. of shutouts with your second and third string goalies. That's insane talk mm -hmm. to expect that type of play. So, yes, is it understandable that there would be a bit of a, a, a dip in play after that? Uh, it's pretty stark in comparison that it's been – as soon as that series ended, they've gone into – a bit of the doldrums. The truth, but the Jets it, games, those yeah. count. That's <laughs> I why I, I, this is such a tricky thing to discuss because yeah. they haven't just done the classic eighteen wheeler thing. No. Although if they come back Friday and Saturday and lose both games right. in a row, you better believe I got a gif of a truck going yeah. off of a, a cliff. Well, you better believe it. It's and even yesterday, yesterday, 
you would have thought they would have been fully motivated, but that's a weird game too on a back-to-back and they fly in the same day of, and yeah, they're exhausted and they can see, they're only human too, like it's their first real period of time off that they're looking ahead just a little bit and they get so deflated by those two goals from Michael Hutchison. The truth is they're probably in the middle Right? Like, they're not as good as they looked in that three-game series against the Edmonton Oilers. They're still the best team in this division, but they're not 20-point leaders at the end of the the season over the second-place team. I still think they're the best. They're going through it right now. I think they're better than the Winnipeg Jets. Look down the advanced metrics of every single thing between the two teams, and the Leafs really smashed the Jets, and they outplayed them, I think, for the majority of games that they played this season. They're better than the Jets. They're the best team in this division. They're going through it right now, but they're not... They're not going to put together a 20-game stretch like they did in those three games against the Edmonton Oilers. It's just not possible. So the Leafs are in their worst moment of the season. They're they're 500 over their last 10. Mm -hmm. This is the worst stretch of the year. They're 500 over their last 10. They got a bit of a time off. Maybe they get their legs under them. It should be, I think, anyways, fine. I think they're going to get Wayne Simmons back. I think that they're going to get Jack Campbell back, I would hope, I would assume, at some point, and that is important because, yeah, it probably does change Freddie Anderson's rest schedule. It is this thing that's up in the air. And I believe they're going to add someone fairly soon here. In fact, I I hope, how shocking would it be if the Leafs added someone today considering the parameters of... Uh, quarantines, knowing that you're trying to lop off every day possible when it comes to bringing in someone from south of the border. In fact, the way that it's probably going to go is that we'll finish the show, we'll put the podcast up, That's tell right. people to listen and subscribe to the podcast, yeah. and guess what will happen? Boom. Trade, and all right. of this is irrelevant. Yeah, that'll be exciting. I have to imagine some adversity is good for a team that was riding as high as the Leafs were after the Oilers where the only discussions around them are once they get to the playoffs and they get punched in the mouth, will they be able to fight back? Will they be able to get back up after they've been knocked down? Well, good. You've been knocked down in the regular season. You don't have to worry about that. Now when you go into that next series against the Jets or even this weekend when you go against the Flames who are playing tougher and are a Daryl Sutter team already, what do you do? How do you respond? How are you going to look? That's how you're going to be judged from this point on with the rest of the regular season is, hey, you've been knocked down. We know what it looks like. Are you going to show more of those bad habits? Is Freddie Anderson going to continue to play below average? Is the penalty kill going to be top bottom five in the teams that matter? Are the, the team Is the team going to continue to make bad mistakes? Are they going to put Freddie Anderson in those vulnerable positions? All right, well, we're going to find out. The, the thing I'm most afraid of there's, there's two things. One is that despite all these sellers, the Leafs don't go big enough at the deadline. That they try and just improve around the fringes and maybe a depth center or something like that, and, and they call it a day. I, I really do believe that this team has to push more into the middle. I've said it before. I believe that this team, when they're at their very best, is far and away better than the rest of the teams in this division. And if they add something significant, that gap only grows and getting to an Eastern Conference final this year is extremely important, especially given some of the question marks moving forward in free agency and 
how short these things can last. I know some people don't think it's the most important season because it's a pandemic and there's no fans and all this other stuff. That's no, just not the way that they should no. be treating this. Two is Austin Matthews clearly is not healthy. And I think I texted this to you last night. I was talking to some people about it. He's clearly not healthy. He took a few more shots yesterday, but he's not in his normal position on the penalty ki- on the power play. He's not firing shots the way he normally does. And even the ones he took yesterday, some wide of the net, they're not the typical Austin Matthews shots. This isn't reporting. This is total speculation, and maybe it's irresponsible to do that. But if he's not resting in these games, you got to think it's, well, they don't feel it's that significant and it is going to get better in short order and he's playing through a little bit of pain, but the doctors have all said, hey man, it's cool, it, it'll get better and it's going to be a little sore, but you'll get there, you'll get there. Or the reason why he's not resting when it's clearly hurting is because it's so bad that he knows it's not going to get any better. That has to at least be a possibility, right? Why is he playing against the Ottawa Senators in a back-to-back when they have to fly in the same day, as you just put it, and he's dealing with the wrist injury that has him out of his most important position on the power play? I also am not a doctor. It, uh, it needs to be stated. I don't even really watch a lot even of Even if you were a doctor, shows. you wouldn't have his medicals, so it, it wouldn't matter. But yeah, my point is... Would, no, actually, you know what? It would be worse if I was a doctor and I shared my medical opinion. You're right. This is the, the, the only <laughs> situation where it's, it's understandable. Um, but this happens in sports, where guys play through injuries because they know that the only alternative to really get it better is surgery, and that should, yeah, the shut end it of the down season. for the whole year. Yeah. yeah. I would say that I don't know of any wrist injury that can't be made worse by using it. Like, well, I, I've yeah. had wrist injuries. I've hurt my wrist a lot, and you know what I do? I don't use my wrist for a while, and it gets better. I don't know of a wrist injury where the possibility of it getting worse doesn't exist if you Mm -hmm. activate it. So, again, like that part was always confusing to me, even if it's just the risk of him running into the end boards again, trying to beat out an icing. Like, that's a real thing. Why not, if you've got these four days off, shut her down completely if it is just a minor wrist injury. Again, not a doctor, limited wrist. I have a more ankle injury experience, as we all know, but my limited wrist injury experience would tell you that the best solve for a wrist injury is uh, resting it and not shooting hockey pucks. That's just me. Who would be upset if he was out of the lineup and the Leafs lost these games? Nobody. Right. (laughs) All right. Food for thought. It's Monday. Good shows. Leaps Hour. Ben Ennis, J.D. Bunkus, and Justin Bourne, as always. What's going on, buddy? How was your weekend? Uh, Quality. Quality weekend, thanks. How how are things with you guys? Less good. Less quality, I would say. Oh, no. Uh, Yeah. Uh... Seeing as our, we make our living talking about Toronto sports teams, uh, unless my Men in Black tweet actually worked on you, maybe you're not aware of the things that have been going on. <laughs> bad. <laughs> I did you this huge favor. Badness. Yeah. Badness. Yeah. It's been some badness. Okay, so let's actually just start with this. Okay, uh, uh, 
with the Toronto Maple Leafs, how bad is this badness? Not that bad. It's not good. <laughs> it's not crisis mode. Um, you know, it's a it's a pretty good team that's healthy that's hit a bit of a tough patch here, fellas. There's no doubt about that. Um, but this is good. This is the right time to have a touch, tough patch and have your uh, flaws exposed to you. And there are some, it turns out, after the Oilers series, I thought they were just going to ascend to a higher league and never have to play anyone. And it was just going to be glorious and wonderful and wins all around. But there are some flaws here. And I don't think it's a crisis, but um, not good. Not good. No, it's not good. Um, what's the biggest flaw that you've seen? Well, I've got a couple in mind. I think the, the, the top of mind one at five on five is that, you know, I think this team is more reliant on their stars than they had hoped to be. Like, Joe Thornton looks like he's 41 years old. Jason Spez is also old. Like, their depth down the lineup, that they're, they're not getting that sort of initial season excitement pop from those guys anymore and all of a sudden it looks like a team that doesn't have like a whole lot of teeth to it right because if those guys aren't scoring your goals well what's Jason Spezza going to do or what's Jimmy VC going to do or you know a lot, a lot of the guys that they got in are great players at a cheap price or good players at a cheap pr- price but when they're not scoring they're just kind of I believe the word is milk toast is that the word uh, they're just kind of ho-hum right so they look like they don't have any teeth right now I I really like that observation I would say that Okay, there's a couple of things that don't scare me, and then there's a couple of things that do. One is, you're right, this this rough patch is frustrating because mostly Leaf fans like myself did a lot of crowing after the Oilers series. But if you just watch these games, it's like, yeah, the let-up against Vancouver was natural. They played two really good games against Winnipeg. They put two bad performances together in a row, but one of them was against the Senators in a game where they flew in and their backup goaltender let in two stops that are two goals that I stop. Like ice cold, walking in, playing hockey right now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so okay. Um, I'm not that worried about the standings. Who doesn't think that they're still making the playoffs, that this isn't going to normalize, and that anybody doing freakout takes right now is probably – if we're doing the likelihood of which end of history you end up on, if you're doing freakout takes today about how this team was always a fraud and blah, 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 you're mm-hmm. going to be a probably on the wrong side of history. And those who say, hey, it's a rough patch, they need a little bit of adversity, they're going to go into the deadline, they're going to get a little healthier, they're going to have a bit of a break, their goaltender is going to probably play better, you might end up on the right side of history. But I'll start with the things that I actually am concerned about. One is what you mentioned, which is, I, I think, very astute that all of a sudden Austin Matthews isn't completely Austin Matthews and all of a sudden the team isn't as good as they have been at their best, right? And so that says something to me about the depth. But the Joe Thornton thing specifically, I we obviously can't evaluate everything he's done and it hasn't been a disaster. Clearly he's not a disaster. But no. he's also to me clearly not a top six guy. And at this point, that's... It's something we brought up, I think, two weeks ago. What do you do with him if he's not a top six guy? Where does he fit? I think eventually his destiny now has to be it's a Thornton on the wing, Spezza, Wayne Simmons line that you're trying to give like 12 minutes a night to. Is Mm -hmm. this not going to be the case? Like, How else does this shake out? He's not on your third line. Yeah, I, well, yeah, and then you're going to get into a matter of semantics about which is the third line, which is the fourth line, but sure. definitely he needs to be in that bottom six somewhere. I think what's almost nice about this is, 
you know, you need to get Joe Thornton on board with that role. And we're getting to a point where they gave him opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. And you could say, okay, you have an assist over the last six games. You know, we get points from you and nothing else, really. So if we're not getting points, you know, Joe, like obviously you understand why you're going to play less and play on this line. The thing is, the Leafs' bottom six has so much talent in it, it's not like sticking a guy with a couple of scrubs. Like, go down there and play with our face punchers or something. Like, you know, Jason Spezza can handle a puck and make a play and have some vision, and Wayne Simmons can finish. Like, I don't think it's a hard sell to Joe to put him down there, but I I do agree that we're at the point where that's probably what's going to happen. Zach Hyman's kind of up full-time now, and, um, yeah, we'll we'll get to the rest of that, but they need... should I just carry on with my little rant here? Because because yeah, I have so carry on, carry okay. on, carry on. Okay, right. so with that bottom want. six, right? With that bottom six, I, I hearken back to Lou Lamorello constantly saying uh, that he's like it's notorious and kind of a punchline within the organization. Lou Lamorello's orchestra conversation about how you know it's great. Everyone wants to you know be the the lead flute or whatever. The but, you know someone's got to play the tuba. The Leafs need some guys to play the tuba for crying out loud. And I don't mean tough guys who punch and hit. Not saying that. They need someone who kills penalties. They need someone who, you know, plays physical and wins draws. We talked about Eric Stahl last week. Great. Mikhail Granlin is a centerman who kills penalties. Great. I suddenly think Taylor Hall is a bad idea. It's not what this team needs. You need someone to play tuba for this team. There's just not a lot of tuba players. I texted you last night in private. I'll just say it what I texted you out loud. They looked soft last night. They don't look like they're playing with a lot of force. And yeah, Wayne Simmons is going to bring some of that and whatever, but they haven't had it during this stretch. It's one of the other things that I'm most nervous about, which is, yeah, sometimes when they face adversity, they don't have a lot of moves to go to to get out of it outside of overwhelming skill at the very top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I, I worry about the, the backlash people. Like, ah, you know, you're not going to score all the time. And this happens every time the team doesn't score. But it, it's about being a versatile team and a team in playoffs that can adapt to what your opponent brings. This has always been a team that had they gone up against, let's say, Colorado. No, Colorado is a bad example. But some team that was offensively gifted last year in the playoffs or the year before, you liked their chances. You didn't like their chances when they drew Boston and Columbus because of the type of game they played. You're going to need some versatility, and it still looks like a team that runs into the same problem a little bit and, and doesn't have that answer to, to be versatile. My only thing about all of this is how much of it does get shored up with the penalty kill? Because the other thing I texted you and was asking you beforehand is to give me an answer as to what the hell is going on here. Because I, I can understand that Freddie Anderson is not coming up with enough saves on that unit. The numbers tell me that that's just the case. And yeah, okay, it's always harder to judge it when it's a cross-seam pass on the PK and the goalie doesn't make the save and you have to play the game of, well, what exactly, how do you... But he hasn't been good enough there. But what is the rest of it? Is it something that you can improve schematically over these next five days or does it have to be essentially addition through, uh, yeah, the trade market because they just don't have the guys to do it? I am very much a believer that penalty kill is uh, personalities. It is personnel. It is not system so much. There's only so much you can do. The other team has five guys. You have four. Uh, you need someone in front of the net. You need someone at least engaging the whoever's got the puck. Like You can only do so much with your other two guys. So I don't think it's a system thing entirely. I think it comes down to, to personnel. And the Leafs have some good penalty kill players. 
and when you use them up, they don't have anything. You know, looking at it right now, they they send uh, Muzzin and uh, Hull over the boards, and then they send Brody and Bogosian over the boards. If e- any of those people are hurt or they have to go to a another pair, they don't like it. Dermot gets, like, no seconds at all in the PK all season, which you hate from a sixth defenseman. There is tons of sixth defensemen around the league who block shots and kill penalties, and they don't want Riley out there. So you got 4D. Up front, they're going to roll out uh, Hyman and Marner, and then they're going to throw you Mikheyev and Kerfoot. And after that, they hate it. There's no one else they want to put over the boards. They got VC and Spezza and Engvall. Engvall gets his, eat, you know, fed his lunch on the PK. You know, we see the chances. He's terrible in the D zone. So... You know, I guess Jimmy Vesey's the only guy. Could, maybe I could see him getting more run, but they don't have the horses. And if anyone's injured of, of those guys I mentioned, I don't know what they do. So they're, they need help. They need an addition. They need someone else who can kill penalties on this team. It's not a coincidence the team hasn't been a great great on the PK for, for years now because it's the same people mostly. Uh, the forwards, though, specifically, and even the, the, the first D pair that you're talking about with, with, with Hall and Muzzin. But the forwards, like, those are... Man, to my eyes, pretty good penalty-killing forwards. At least they end it's up a good with a form. ton of short, short-handed opportunities, right? Like, if we, yeah. we can go over the Mikheyev every single time he's on the, the ice-killing penalties. He ends up with a partial breakaway. Hyman's incredible. Marner is, I, I think, opportunistic and puts his stick in the right spot. And even Kerfoot, I, I think, is a, a, a good, good penalty killer. So those are, I mean... Okay, would you like more? Sure, but isn't that a pretty good starting spot? Like, there's even those guys are not getting the results. Yeah, they their thing lately. They're saying they're not finishing the penalty kill. They got scored on with 17 seconds left in the PK. They got it was even less than that on another goal recently. And to me, it's like, you know, that means at the end of the you're probably going with your third group of forwards. So when I was with Keith, I you know I've filled out his lineup card because he likes it printed uh, for the most part. So his lineup card would include his pairs of forwards, and he would usually include four forward pairs uh, for PK, just in case, you know, you needed some extra guys. But he uses his third one, and so the third one going over the boards right now is something like Engvall and Spezza or VC and Spezza, and uh, and those guys have been on the ice for goals of late, and I just don't think that they trust that those guys can kill penalties, which is what brought me to looking at all right, this team is doesn't need another guy who can't kill penalties and who can create offense. They need someone who can play that role and be at least a fifth forward that they trust going over the boards at some point. That being said, even if they had another couple of forwards, another defense pair, or another defenseman that they could throw in there and feel comfortable, it's a five-on-four. Uh, you are going to give up chances. It's a power yes. play. And at a certain point, you do need your goalie to make a save. Like, where does Freddie Anderson fit into this equation when we're evaluating the penalty kill? It's a great question. Uh, you know, one I'm not fully comfortable, you know, speculating on if he's been good, bad, or otherwise. His numbers are terrible. He's given up a ton of goals on the penalty kill. At 5-on-5, five five, I think he's still, like, near the top 10, or if not top 10 in save percentage. Yeah, so he's fine there. It's... You know, we, we really like goaltenders who are quiet and make it look easy. Freddie just looks so quiet to me. And, you know, that's just someone I watch a lot of hockey, but I don't watch it, you know, but I'm not a goaltender. But to my player eye, it just looks like he's not like that fast twitch quick, you know, that you need to make those high danger saves on the PK. I, I don't see it as much. He looks like he's steady and slow and positional and big, but I don't see that like 
snap to get across or to make that extra save or to fight through. He's just so quiet in the crease, and I know in general that's a good thing, but it, I don't know. That, perhaps that's where it comes from. It doesn't look to me like a scrapper with desperation and the old fire in the belly in the crease sometimes. It's what separates him from Vasilevsky. Yes. Vasilevsky's really absolutely is. got that Hasek lunge at the last second, right? 100%. They're both massive. They both are positionally sound. They both cut down on the angles extremely well. But when you watch the two of them, the big difference is that, yeah, there's a pop to Vasilevsky that there just isn't to Freddie Anderson. And there's another thing, too, which is the harder one to quantify. Because you're right. I, I think that a lot of people, you know, probably myself included, look at that position and think that it's easier to evaluate than others because you judge it on pass-fail, right? Hey, pass-fail. Did he let in a goal? Did he stop the puck? Mm -hmm. Did Was that one hard? Was it a pass? Did he have to move across the net? Well, then it's okay he let in a goal or if he Free made pass. the save, it's amazing. You know, it's just it's just something where people look at it and they think that their evaluation of the position is bang on, whatever. And again, I'm putting myself in this group. It's a lot easier to do pass-fail than it is to watch Pierre Engvall absolutely dog it in the defensive zone and put out his stick and then he maybe scores a goal that doesn't count and you go, well, what is... What did he do this game? <laughs> you know, it's not as... Right. It's, it's not as straightforward. But I think it's a couple things. One, you're right. I, I don't think that he has the explosiveness of some other big guys that are the highest end of the position or the even the version of what Freddie Anderson used to be a couple of years ago, I, I think is a little bit further gone. But two is, and I'm always uncomfortable doing this, but I really believe that he is a guy you can tell when it's good versus bad Freddie from a confidence standpoint. Like, he gets on those hot streaks, man, and it's happened throughout his career, his tenure as a Leaf. Sometimes he looks great. Sometimes he mimics a top five goaltender. And then other times you watch him and he's just okay. And he looks a little shaky. And that quietness you talked about, it goes away with little things like rebound control. And you don't feel as good about it. And really what it's going to come down to him, I think this year, is how he's feeling mentally going into the postseason. Oh, good. And, <laughs> it's, it, it, and really, I know it sounds, it sounds so cliche, but... This is what frustrates me about hockey a lot of the times is, okay, if he's not going to be good in the playoffs, you can see how quickly this thing can come unraveled. Yeah. And, and that's just it. So that's why fans are freaking out right now because they look at this team. They know it's good. They know it's improved. They just feel as though the one thing that could sewer you immediately is one of these bad Freddie Anderson Dude. weeks and it's, it's over. Well, I mean, and how different is the narrative of this entire team over the last half decade? If like, I, I don't think he was bad in the totality of the seven-game series against the Bruins. He was bad, I would think, in the most recent Game 7. But if he's a little bit better, makes a couple of different saves, and they win one of those series, how different is the talk around the entire organization, the entire franchise, and its direction? What scares me about the whole thing is, like, you have to be so sure you're getting a better goalie to do anything about this. Like, it feels like you can't do anything about the Freddie no, thing. You're just at the mercy of it. He makes $5.5 million in a pandemic-shortened salary cap flattened season. And, you know, everyone's got to wait to quarantine. Like, what, are you trade Freddie? No. I mean, to Right. Who? To who? And for who? What is the yeah. plan? So this whole thing to me is like, how do you build up Freddie's ego? How do you make this about him? 
and be like, Freddie, what do you want us to do? Hang Jack Campbell upside down by his skates in the locker room? Like, it's your season, your team. You got this. You can't. And so you can't hang him upside down because he'll break every bone in his fragile. Little <laughs> like it's, you can't but do he'll it. be smiling and laughing and yeah, saying, what, "Is this better for the team?" Yeah. Okay, that's fine. There's no, How nothing. Long? The Leafs Leafs lore is never going to forget the nine games Jack Campbell played healthy for I this know. team. It's just going to be the thing of legends. There's going to be you talked about lead flute. There's going to be guys walking through the town singing little flute songs about Oh Jack Campbell, <laughs> he was a great guy. That's that's his legacy. Sea shanties. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe there's a world where Freddie's so bad and Jack Campbell comes back and gets healthy where you say, I don't know, uh, maybe Jack Campbell you know, writes a page of history and, and, you know, of Leafs history. But mostly I think you just got to build up Freddie's ego, whatever it takes to make him feel comfortable and know he's the guy and take your shot with Freddie, man. No, it's, yeah, you've got what you've got. In the goaltending department, Freddie Anderson is obviously not going to be here beyond. Ben, this. we tell our Sid, our, our kids, you get what you get, and you don't get upset, and that's what I'm that's telling right. Leafs fans about their goal. I actually never use that line, but yeah, <laughs> it's a good one. I've never used it, and I will use it today. But yeah, you got what you got. Um, but what you, do, what you haven't had, <laughs> what you haven't had in years previous, and there's lots of teams that have had great playoff success in recent memory. Who have gone to multiple goaltenders in the postseason? What you do have is is an is another bullet in the chamber. If things go poorly for a game or two in a seven game series, then you can go to Jack Campbell. And then you can go back to Freddie Anderson. And it sounds crazy, but man, look at some of the teams that have made cup runs that have done that same thing over the last couple of years. What are the odds Michael Hutchinson plays a playoff game for the Leafs this year? Oh, why I don't, I why don't, does it feel like it's ninety eight percent? He has a win. He has a playoff win like last year. So yeah, I don't know. I, I gotta tell you, this this Vele Vela Highland guy better How be good is he? No, because that guy that guy immediately, as soon as they I don't care, sight unseen, you're putting him in over Hutchinson again. Uh yeah, finish name goaltender, you're up. Yeah. yeah. Well uh, here's what else I'll tell you about that trade. And we we didn't really get a chance to talk about it off That's the right. top because of everything else. Uh that thing ends up going under the radar. That they move Lettinen, and I, I don't know if I said that guy's name correctly, so I'm not going to try again, Obviously and I'm not. sorry to anyone who's offended. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have enough time to practice. Just Yarmo listening, going, what? Yeah. Uh, my guess on that trade is, and I think Keith even said as much about how he's an unrestricted free agent, and it's an important year for him, that the Leafs have a good relationship with guys in the KHL right now. Hey, if you come over here... You're going to be in a spot where people see you, and you're going to be in a spot where people talk about you. And uh, guess what? Everybody knows who Miko Lettinen is, even though he was a seventh defenseman for the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? Like, yeah. there's a real value in that. <laughs> and if you come over here, you can play. And, of course, the, the sell to him would have been amazing. Hey, we're going to potentially put you on a power play unit that has the following players. And they put the list over of the Leafs' talent, and Miko Lettinen signs on the dot, no doubt about it. But... I think that it's important to make sure that you tell those guys, hey, if you struggle, we'll try to put you in a more advantageous spot so that you don't end up being Igor Ozhiganov, who goes back to Russia and craps all over the Leafs, right? So that's the main impetus for it. But you're also in an all-in year where you need to have the best product as possible. And you can't tell me that Miko Lettinen's not better than Callie Rosen or Martin Marincin. And Rasmus Sandin is hurt. And he's been hurt for a long time, and he hasn't played very much hockey. So 
I hope he's better when he comes back and he's healthy. Like, I really believe he will be better, but that's not a guarantee either. So to remove that type of a fail-safe, like, what, if Morgan Riley gets hurt, you're going to ask TJ Brody to run your power play? That's what you're going to do. I, I don't know. Travis Dermott's going to do it. It's, it's kind of an odd fit. You trade that guy, then this goalie better be able to help you this season in some capacity if you need him to because it can't just be a flyer, period. It, it has to be something of consequence. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I, I'm a strange duck in the Miko Lettinen camp because I liked him. <laughs> I loved him. I, you know, yeah. I, I saw a good – he was playing well. I saw a good player there. The one thing that makes me pump the brakes on that is I really trust Sheldon Keefe. And I really – and maybe that's blind trust from having a relationship with him, but I trust that they're watching the video and this guy and going, oh, it's just – it's not there. It's never going to be there. Like, I feel like if it was going to be there, you hang on to him. Unless, of course, J.D., to your point, he says, listen, yeah. I didn't come from Russia to be the seventh D, right. and he's making a stink and says I'm not going to play for you guys. So one of the one of two things happened to me. Either Keith decided he's, he can't play or he said he was miserable and wanted the heck out. One of the two because I liked him. I thought he was a good player. So I just have a hard time I, – I, again, I, I just – I don't know how Sheldon Keefe could have looked at him and evaluated him and thought that he's no good. I just I, – I really do think it was a numbers game, that they had six guys and they said this – these are the things I don't think are changing at the deadline. I don't think that the top line is changing now. I think that it's very clear Zach Hyman's staying there. Like, it should be that way anyways. You, you also, need a, by the way, still the best player in the world, Zach Hyman. Best player in the world. Yeah. I, I honestly, my takes keep getting hotter and hotter when it comes to Zach Hyman every like game. Scoring. I know, but I have sent multiple uh, moving Zach Hyman up the importance rankings for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like if they if they showed a video where Sheldon Keefe walked into the dressing room and ripped the C off of John Tavares and slapped it on a Zach Hyman's chest, I would do the all the fist pumps in the world and go, that's right. It was a long time coming. You know, it's just that's where I'm at with this guy. It's uh, he's very, very important. I'll never forget that I got someone who told me that uh, the gar of uh, Alex Kerfoot is is basically the same as Zach Hyman. And Go now I will never pay attention to Gar. That stat is dead to me. There is I think no... it, I think it had Radko Gudis fifth in the league last oh time I saw. God. So we're we're good on Gar. Gar, uh, yeah. Uh, thank you for alerting me to Gar. Uh, uh, R.I.P. Uh, Zach Hyman and Alex Griffin. Oh, anyway, he's been of critical importance. I just, I think it was a numbers game. They're not changing the blue line. It's set. If they deal with an injury, they'll go somewhere else. But they, Marino. that's the hope is that they believe that the gap between he and those other guys that they have down in the Marlies, and I know the other one is uh, Kivi Halme, that they like those guys. I don't know anything about them. I just, I have to believe Dubas is like, hey, the, the gap is not very big. We got to do this. My, my recent uh, musing on, on the Leafs D right now is, is the Travis Dermott. Like, can you have a guy like Dermott who you don't do play and he doesn't kill penalties for you and, like, I understand they like some of the things about his game, but I'm kind of at the point, like, I don't know, could you not get someone who plays that many minutes and also kills penalties or also yeah. you trust to, to play defense? It's, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little disillusioned with the, the Dermot thing and how they're using him because it, it doesn't seem like a very useful guy if that's how they're going to use him. Yeah, I, um, I never know what to do with that because here's the thing. Dermot has... How many points this year? You want to guess? 
Uh, four? <laughs> I don't know. You want to guess, Ben? I was going to say three. I, said, I was going to say three. He has one. Oh. Yeah. One point. It's a goal. He has one point. He doesn't kill penalties, and he has one point. And I think we all agree that, hey, he's been fine. He and Zach Bogosian have been a way better third pairing. Yeah, that's a great a third pair. You'll take that anytime. Of course you will. But what is the prospect of a 24-year-old defenseman who you don't trust in penalty-killing roles, who has you have some... to shelter and put in the ozone. Yeah, and who is not producing points for you. Like... You would think that you'd get a second assist somewhere. Like, how, <laughs> you know, like, what? Yeah. You didn't get one? No assists? That's something, right? We play Is This Anything on our show where we take something and we ask just, is it something? Travis Dermott having one point all year is a massive something. He's not playing no minutes. He hasn't missed that many games. Yeah. One point? <laughs> Not good enough, man. Not good enough yeah. to say that this guy is a piece that you're given a contract to. I, I think it's clear that they look at it right now and they say, yeah, if someone blows you away at the deadline and there's a player that's available that they could fit in. I know that everyone keeps throwing Ekholm's name out there. Like, there's there's stuff, right? But I think it's just more likely than not that you have Dermot. He plays, and then the following season, it's just he's not in a Maple Leafs uniform because the fit is not great. Yeah, no, it's. It, it, I thought you know that's a really good point about the whole like uh, the the flute thing with Travis Dermott is like he he wants to be a top four guy, but he can't get a point, and he wants to yeah. kill penalty. You know, so what is he then? If he's not going to play flute for you, then well, maybe find another instrument, a guy who can play something else. So right, we don't need a guy who can play the chimes, right? You can get anybody <laughs> to play the chimes. Just the triangle. What, yeah. The chi- yeah, exactly. You can chimes. find someone to play the chimes. Triangle. Are tough. There's like multiple yeah. chimes in there. But yeah. basically, I'm, you've got a guy like Channing Tatum playing the chimes, where he looks amazing, and you go, "Wow, <laughs> that guy plays the, the hell out of the chimes." Yeah. chimes. <laughs> At least he doesn't throw up on himself when he plays those chimes. Like, yeah, yeah. I am the chimes. Yeah. By the way, Miko Lettinen had uh, three points uh, before yeah. he straighted out of town. Well, yeah, the two assist game, and one of them was beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I don't remember the Dermot goal. I, I, I can't for I do. the life of me. I, when was that? Do you, I think it was against mm-hmm. Calgary. Okay, I don't remember. I got, I got, Anyways, I got nothing. But you talk about Eckholm and, and trading for a defenseman uh, as the – because I think there's limited bullets to fire, and we've talked ad nauseum about Ale- how Alex Kerfoot is the logical guy to be shipped out to make sense cap-wise. That's like he we just said it. He's doing an adequate job on that third pairing. Um, I mean, Ekholm is a massive, massive upgrade and is not playing 10 minutes a game, obviously, if you go and get him. But Bourne, like, if you're looking for additions, like, improving on Travis Dermott is way down the list, is it not? Yeah, yeah. that's the that's a great point, though. It's like you can only do so much, you can only spend so much money, and it does not seem like a priority compared to grabbing someone who can you know, play center and kill penalties in the bottom six or something. So it is down the list, but again, this feels like the year. I don't know what sort of cap gymnastics you'd have to do to make all these things happen, but on my want list, it's either you rectify these issues or that is going to be an issue in something. Every team has flaws in the salary cap era. I know that, but uh, it's going to be one of the least if it's not fixed. Yeah. Um, The only reason Ekholm has come up is because of Forsberg trade. And people always get greedy, and they go, "Hey, Forsberg would be amazing. You know, what would be amazinger." 
<laughs> yeah. Like, let's get all of the guys from that team that we would like. Uh, I saw Dave Bedini yesterday saying we should, they should get Malkin. I was like, yes, they yeah. should. Yeah. They, <laughs> <absolutely>. <laughs> I agree. That's a, that's a great point. No, Dave, said, is, though, too. Dave, Dave is the best, man. And he uh, he floated a Getzlav trade to me. He's floated Malkin. I, I love it. And that's – but you know what, though? That's where I really do believe Kyle Dubas's head should be at, right? Like, okay, cool, you get Eric Stahl. I mean – I would rather have Eric Stahl than no Eric Stahl, but I would definitely prefer a Philip Forsberg type. And I've already made my uh, intentions or uh, thoughts on Taylor Hall very clear, which is that I'm in the, yeah, no Taylor Hall camp. Either way, you're trying to add to me someone in your top six, that's the number one thing, who can play the left wing, and... That would be perfect. And then you also would like to add an Eric Stahl type, a Michael Granlin type, that you're hoping that they take two shots, that Kerfoot's off the team, and that those are the main priorities for this group, that you are all in, that you're trying to do that stuff. I I think it gets harder and harder and harder to justify the acquisition price the longer you wait. And yet you can understand how those sellers are going to not want to move too quickly unless it's a deal where they say, yes, absolutely, there's no... There's nothing we could ask for more than this. It's kind of a it's it's a tricky it's a tricky spot. Even though there are a lot of sellers and the Leafs clearly want to buy. And what's tough What's tough right now is like after digging through the Leafs PK stuff. It's like if it's not Kerfoot, then who's going to kill penalties on this hockey team? Like it's just I know his salary is kind of the one that has to go to make room for the type of thing you're looking at. But boy, I, I don't know. So I think they have something like two to three million dollars in cap room to play with yeah. based on what they've accrued you know without moving someone else out um you know that you can get an upgrade on, on a guy for for two or three million dollars for sure but i don't know if you i don't know if you can move kerfoot too so they're they're in tough here the, it's, okay. it's a weird season to, to have needs for sure so i this this actually brings me to two questions i was i've been percolating on and they're both very different, but I'm still going to throw them together. So when we're looking at the things you can critically analyze when it comes to Leafs right now, and this touches on the Dermot thing, right, in terms of the balance, is that just because the Leafs' D is obviously improved, is it A, as good as we thought it was, considering the level of competition and now seeing, you know, over a larger sample, more mistakes, a few more flaws? And two, if we all agree that Kerfoot now is a winger who needs to go – in what we have been heralding as a perfect offseason for Kyle Dubas, does he deserve any criticism for trading Kapanen, who's playing well, and keeping a guy because he thought he was a center who ended up being a winger? Like, he, he might have dumped the wrong guy, even if he wouldn't have gotten as much back. All right, we'd have that chat. Yeah. <laughs> you, want it, you want it now or a break? Where are we at? Yeah, let's break. That, I'll let you think okay. about Ooh, those good. two things. Okay. Born, well done. Way to produce the show. Yeah. That was well done. No, Born's well, just well tired. Done. He needs a yeah. he needs to pee. He needs to pee. <laughs> he didn't know. He's, uh, Born has to pee 100%. Uh, all right. So Justin Bourne goes pee. Then we talk about those questions next. Done. It's uh, Good Show's Leafs Hour, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. break and, I, and I'd like to do one more so let's try and keep things tight because I also want to ask Bourne uh, what he thinks of the Jets matchup in general because yeah I, I think it's hard to say that the Leafs are definitely the better team when the Jets got five or six points in that series and they uh, imposed their will in the last game so question number one 
The competition against Toronto was suspect for large stretches of the season, and while they're improved, there have been some spotty decisions and performances by members of the Leafs' blue line over this last stretch. So Justin Bourne, is this group of defensemen as good as we originally thought, the way that we were talking about them throughout the season, or are they maybe a little bit more flawed um, than we originally anticipated? I'll say just using the context of how we talked about them, maybe they're a little bit more flawed than that because we we gave them tons and tons of praise. Like Justin Hall was not all not going to play the full season as a Norris candidate. Not that he ever was, but people jokingly did use the word like he was awesome for a while. So he's come back down to earth. um, And there are some defensive flaws uh, with Riley and even with Brody here and there. But I still really think it's a good decor. I like I like the top four. I think it's as good a a bottom pair as you find at five on five uh, in the league, really. So I still think the decor is very good. That's not a problem spot for me. Ben? Yeah, I, I I mean, you posed this question to me, I feel like, last week. And, yeah, if you were talking about them as being the best six defensemen in the NHL, yeah, okay, they're not that good. I was. They're, and also, <laughs> yes, there is something about uh, getting the Bens, comparing them to the six defensemen from a, a year ago, especially when they suffered an injury or two. Yeah, there's no Cody Cece taking 20 minutes of ice time per game anymore, right? No, they're the best that uh, Kyle Dubas has put together in his tenure. And I'm not coming off of that. And I think it's not oh. if this if this team is gonna go pear shaped, it's not because of the defensemen. Yeah. I think I agree with everything you guys just said. I will nitpick with the it's the best Kyle Dubas has put together because that's quite a low bar. <laughs> I don't think that's <laughs> just a fact. Just a uh, fact. Yeah. It's, wow. That's what incredible. That's why even the nine games that Jack Campbell has played as a Maple Leaf is he's unquestionably the best backup in Freddie Anderson's tenure because yeah, it's been awful. And they've been working backwards that entire time. Yeah. I, I think that basically this is just a question for me because I looked at them and thought, well, Oh my God, they're perfect. And I can't really remember a signing quite like TJ Brody where all the things that he does are pretty like to go back to the Freddie Anderson terminology, but it's like quiet where Mm -hmm. it's not stuff that jumps off the page, but it's just little things in a game and it's the confidence you feel when he's out there and what one guy has done. And I I would say that my main thing has been the Justin Hall takes have normalized. I got to say that when there were moments of, Hey, is this guy maybe turning into the Leafs best defenseman that, hey, guess what? Turns out playing with Jake Muzzin is really, really good for your career. And while Hall has obviously been a great success story for the Leafs, I I don't know if he is what we thought he was early on. That, like, his perception versus reality has had, I think, a significant change. Yeah. Yeah, and that's okay. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of had a change to the fact that it's like, hey, that's a good second pair D man who you trust, mm-hmm. and you know he leads the team in PK minutes and plays in his D zone, doesn't worry about points. He's a perfect fit for this team. Uh, that doesn't mean he's the best defenseman in the league or a top pair guy even, but he's, right. he's great for the Leafs. Dude, uh, and all you have to point to is like the couple of games that Muzzin missed where he was with Dermott and did not look like the same guy, right? Like he's not the yeah. guy elevating that pair. Seems pretty I- clear. I stand, uh, I stick to my story. I think that Jake Muzzin is definitely the Leafs' best defenseman. I've He's really, the Zach Hyman of the decor. So yeah, important. I, I, don't, I don't know how, again, fine. If you're evaluating who gets the most points, then, yeah, it's always going to be Morgan Riley. 
But if you're going to ask me, hey, the Leafs are in a playoff series tomorrow and they're going to lose one of their defensemen, uh, who do you think hurts them the most? I'll always believe it's Jake Muzzin. And yeah, uh, the blue line is good. I don't think it's great, but I do think it is good, and I think it's a playoff caliber win worthy. In that, yeah, you're right. When they, if when they, if they lose in the playoffs, that was my real Leafs fan coming Ooh, out right there. Came out. When they lose in the playoffs, yeah, no, but wait, the ghost yeah. of Sigmund Freud was like pointing yeah. right at you. He was yeah, like, "See, I'm sorry. you see I what apologize. he did? You I see?" Apologize. That's you know, that's uh, over 30 years on the planet of being tortured by this team. Uh, if they lose, I I don't think that the blame being thrown at Dubas will be that he didn't do enough to address the blue line, which in years past it has been. You're right. This this one is gone. Okay, question number two. If there is going to be blame directed towards Kyle Dubas, which I think that it's mounting a little bit right now, how much of it is, okay, you got a first-round pick for Kasperi Kapanen. We all agree that it's a good trade in terms of value for where the player was at last year. In fact, I loved it at the time. But if you're in an all-in season and you had to decide between players, and we agree that Alex Kerfoot wouldn't have been a negative-valued player, does he deserve criticism for moving off of a guy who has seven goals and 11 assists while keeping someone who really... I, I don't know what his defining attribute would be and what his legacy would be as a Toronto Maple Leaf other than you were the guy they traded Nazem Kadri for, and yeah, you never really had a moment. And Kapanen was killing penalties too. Yeah. Yeah. I th- yeah. No, I mean, you'd rather have Kapanen for sure. Just so dynamic. <laughs> yeah. So, so dynamic. But I really believe it was a situation where they were like, okay, we got to move off, you know, $3 million salary here. Uh, one guy's going to return us a first round pick at 15th yep. overall. The other guy, we're going to have to tack an asset to to move in a flat cap world. You know, it's like, I think in the big picture for the Leafs, it's the right thing. But in terms of having the best team for this season, uh, no, you'd rather have Kapanen. So, you want to say something, Ben? Yeah, I was I just going to say, this all comes back. Th- this is all the, uh, the same conversation. And it's all like the defining move of the Kyle Dubas, I mean, this recent run here. And it's mm-hmm. the thing that if it doesn't go well, and if they don't have the depth, and they don't have a third line, it's the thing we'll be talking about, I guess, until we're in the grave, is the Nazem Kadri deal it has no end like it has no end for how bad it is it it reverberates through time like you see his goal last night yeah it's forever we'll be talking about how bad that trade was and no like alex kerfoot is fine he's a fine person he kills penalties very fast and but he's the guy that (laughs) like listen this is never a guy who put up points in colorado and it was the guy that you had to look at the underlying stats and blah 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 it's the worst trade I can remember in Toronto sports, it's so bad. There's so many layers to it. Like, not even starting with the fact that Tyson Berry was a pending free agent and brutal in an all-in trade for a right-shot defenseman. Uh, yeah, it's quite bad. And, again, Nazem Kadri's goal last night was gorgeous. Uh, and every time I hear David Amber or... Another host say, Nazem Kadri. I, I I have to look away from the TV. It's it's too much. It's it's too much. And yeah, him, yeah, he's just legitimately. If you could say, hey, the Leafs have this need for a 
the perfect kind of guy that you would want right now. And Sam, it's so bad. You're right. Uh, this is my only thing with the Kapanen trade. Okay, so you got that Rodion Amarov guy. And I, I agree, Bourne. Like, I'm not changing my position. At the time, it was, hey, you got to move off of this guy. You need to clear cap space. He brought you back a first-round pick. That's awesome. It just feels kind of weird that we're in a position right now where you would move Rodion Amarov in a heartbeat to get a Kapanen. <laughs> that's all you need to know. Because that's like, true. Yeah, I did we lose Born? Did he go? No, sorry, Bourne? sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I, as I, as I, we were talking about that, I was googling yeah. Amiod Rodorov trying to figure out how this guy's doing overseas. <laughs> you did a spoonerism of his name. You yeah. said his name backwards. I know. Yeah. I know so, and I've been googling the wrong name and I can't figure <laughs> out what. Yeah. But yeah, like okay, let's just say uh a team called you today and they were like, "Hey, uh, we'll take Alex Kerfoot's money, and uh, you just got to attach Rodion Amarov to the deal, and we'll do it. Uh, I think you'd talk about it and free you up for other moves, right? Because at some point, you're going to have to attach something to Kerfoot, and I do wonder what that would have been in the preseason. Uh, and okay, sure, right. Could be that Kapanen was the guy to move anyways. I, I don't think he was a great fit for this team. And he's cheaper, though. He's, uh, you know, 3.2 million versus the 3.5 for Kerfoot. There's just, again, when Ben talks about the layers with Kerfoot, there are so many. I just think, you know, rushing to give him that deal. How did he earn three and a half million dollars? You kind of put yourself over a barrel with it immediately, like making a million dollars less than. There were questions Kadri. about him being able to play center yeah. when he was brought I know. over here, right? Like, and this is was, not something that's yeah. cropped up. It's like a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah I didn't really do that that much, mm -hmm. and his success was very limited. Yeah, and okay, yeah, you can bend yourself to see how it works, whatever. But yeah, at this point, um, I'm not sure if getting a first-round pick uh, was all that worth it if you're using a first-round pick or at least a future one or an Amarov to acquire the thing that you need, which is some depth scoring, a guy who can play the wing maybe in your top six or a guy who plays on the third line. Okay, uh, next one, last one. So Jets, they they get five of six. And they look pretty good doing it. And I actually really loved the move by Maurice to, to play Brossois in the third game um, to keep his team a little bit, maybe rejuvenate them a bit, and also to leave all the thoughts of Hellebuck being just nasty in the Leafs' heads, that they didn't get a game where they, they put a bunch by him, and they get one with ease, that I, I just thought it worked out perfectly. It was, as our buddy Sam McKee says, galaxy brain, but the galaxy brain worked out. Okay, so they make this good move, it works out, they take five of six, but how do you feel about the matchup between them and Toronto as of today, Born? I still feel great. Like, I feel like, if you're a Leafs fan, I feel like, you know, the, if you play seven games against Winnipeg, you're going to outplay them five or six times and you know there's enough scoring talent that you hope that you could get some by Hellebuck I think you will more often than not I, I very much like the Leafs in that series but yeah there is that looming fear all the time that the Jets can get you tell you what gets me most with the Jets everyone's like top end scoring they got the great top six and they got a goalie they also have the best third line in any matchup with the Leafs if you're going to throw Cop, Lowry and Appleton at the, at the Leafs you're going to handle a lot of the Leafs lines pretty well. That's a nice depth line that they have that I, I think the, the Leafs are very envious of. I'm terrified, and I hate the matchup. I hate it with, like, uh, great, great, great passion. Um, I mean, the goalie's the number one thing. But it's it's this thing about the, the, the mistakes, which are not happening at a, a crazy rate. Like, the, the defense turnovers and the odd man rushes are not 
Like, at the worst of this Leafs team over the last couple of years, like, man, I'm thinking of that Vancouver Canucks game where I think they gave up, like, eight breakaways, right? Like, this is what we've seen from this team. It's Even at its worst this year, over these two games, it hasn't been that. But if you're giving up five in a game, how many are the Jets converting? And then throw the, the goaltender into the mix? It's It's absolutely a terrifying mix and cocktail for me. Here's my biggest point of optimism and I'm so glad that I get to go for the cheap hometown pop but I don't care I'm doing it because I truly believe it and I'm very very thrilled to have been on this island all along which is that you know what this stretch has reminded me among all the other things that have happened is that hey Wayne Simmons they went out and got him for a very big reason and that guy matters a lot to this team uh they miss him Sheldon Mm -hmm. Keefe has talked about how they miss him and how it hasn't been the same without him around on the bench, in the room, on the ice. Dude, uh, if you ever needed the... I I keep doing this, but if you ever needed, like, conclusive proof that guys like that matter, a guy like that matters, just look at this stretch of play and look at that game against Winnipeg or look against moments in that Ottawa game where all of a sudden Zach Bogosian is trying to spark their team. I don't know if you guys heard, I think it was BXA on Hockey Night talking about how teams, they're trying to manufacture energy because there's there's no crowd. Yeah, there's more fights this year. Yeah, Yeah, there's more fights. Fights are up. You know who uh, fights for the Leafs is Wayne Simmons. You know who wins fights for the Leafs is Wayne Simmons. We discussed this at nauseum that you, you walk a bit taller when you have a guy like that on the ice. Every single hockey player on record talks about the value of those dudes, and yet we continuously try to diminish them with numbers in places where they're not even being asked to be quantified in. It's just nuts to me. Wayne Simmons brought you that energy every single night, and I do believe that in a matchup when we're saying, well, that line that Bourne just outlined, you don't feel great about them. Well, you know what? In the playoffs, come hopefully some roster balance, I will feel a little bit better about some of the groups that they can throw at them because Wayne Simmons will come back. And like, yeah, he just has a lot of value to me. And when we go back to that theme of you've got to have guys who different do different things for your roster. Absolutely, yep. He just immediately is the guy who does one of those different things. And when you get him back, I, I think it will be noticeable. It has felt like there were games where it's like, okay, they need someone to jumpstart the engine here a little bit. Right. I don't mean a fight necessarily, just whether it is a on hit. their own bench, hollering guys, yeah, a hit, a jaw, you know, getting in some emotional, uh, you know, jawing match with the other team, something. They, they've been lacking that for sure. Yeah, Wayne Simmons, I believe, brings that. And there will probably be some urgency from him when he steps back into the lineup to reestablish it. The talking on the bench thing even too, right? Is just I, I I don't like to overstate things. I'm not a former NHLer, but you do look at the Leafs bench sometimes. It's a lot of guys looking forward, a lot of guys not talking, especially when they're down in games. And I I think that Wayne Simmons is one of the dudes who's very very chatty, and you hear that from a lot of guys. And I I, I think his impact is is very very hard to quantify, um, but it, it's going to be very apparent when he comes back. So yeah, big one of the biggest deadline acquisitions they're going to get is just getting that guy back in the lineup, and I think that's huge. Um, yep. So, yeah, Leafs still better. Uh, Born, good Leafs <laughs> hour today. I think we awesome covered news. a lot of ground. I think yeah, thanks for having me, guys. That was good. Yeah, for sure, bud. Right. Talk to you soon. See ya. Justin Bourne. Talk to him uh, next Monday. A-, a lot to go over with our next guest. A lot. I actually think it might be bad luck to have this guy on the show or plan for him to be on the show before Leafs-Senators games because... I think the last time we had him on was after the the comeback. 
and now right. we're doing it after one of the worst Leaf losses of the season and where the Maple Leafs basically lost to the Zamboni driver again. Um, but I guess this guy is not quite that, but, you know, you get the deal. Um, it's Mark Mathot, uh, former Suns defenseman, Wally Mathot Show, and he of all the hot takes on Twitter these days, Marky Hot Takes. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing well. That was an incredibly uh, uh, ominous introduction. Yeah. Thank you. Well... Yeah, I mean, you're the one out here going, Sands going to be better than Leafs in two years. Book it, book it, book it. <laughs> and it's one of those takes I hate because it's it's one where if you get it right, you're going to crow everywhere, and it's going to be nonstop having Mark Mathod on all the Ottawa shows. All, oh, Mark, what did you see? Wow, Mark, you really got an eye on the, for these things. And then if you get it wrong, which you obviously will, no one's ever going to bring it up except for me. I will remember, Mark. I will remember. There will be a show two years from now where I have you on. And hold you accountable for that ludicrous take. That's fine. And and, and yeah. after that incredibly bold yeah. prediction on my part, I'll admit. Yeah. Um, th- there were plenty of Toronto guys that were in the comment section. Like, I-, I believe there's an app that you can tag it in, and it'll set you a reminder in a couple years to come, to based on the date you want, <laughs> and it'll remind them to just basically come right right back at me. So. I I know it was bold. I've accepted that. And uh, to a degree, I was obviously just trying to kind of ruffle some feathers. I don't think that's a secret. Um, But the problem is there may be some truth to it, and it's not out of the realm of possibility. So we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, hey, I actually like a lot of the Sens young players. And, of course, man, it's a salary cap league, and Toronto's got a lot tied up in some players, and there's some big question marks moving forward, like what's going to happen with their goaltenders, Morgan Riley, like Jake Muzzin. We don't know what those guys are all going to look like two years from now, right? So, of course, it's a possibility. I will say this, though. It always cracks me up. It's like, you know, you guys, when you're players, oh, you guys in the media, you say these crazy things, you crazy media guys, you're always out there spouting off, and then you retire, and you're like, and then two years from today, that Ottawa Senators dead last will be past the Toronto Maple Leafs. You guys are all hypocrites. That's all I need to know. Is you're not all fair. out there just but yeah. No problem. I can handle it, but I can take it. Yeah. Like of I'm course. not offended what like my, my skin is so thick now from playing that I mean having some random troll in the comment section telling me that yeah. I suck, that's yeah. that's not an issue for me. So I yeah. you know, bring it on. Yeah. No, you know what? That's actually I was I was thinking about this the other day how that's the one really good thing about being a, a former player is you develop There's just one. When it comes to media, you develop these reps of dealing with people crapping on you whether it's you know you played poorly or whatever and you have to face the media you have to face fans you get crazy people in your twitter mentions and then you just go out there and you're still making millions of dollars and playing the game that you love and ultimately when this thing's over you end up doing media you take some shots and then all of a sudden there's guys out there who try to say hey Mark Mutah, you idiot, you you stupid idiot, <laughs> that you don't care. You you've been you don't have to stand in front of the media and answer. I mean, other than our show, you have to no, go but, on our show and defend yourself. But yeah, yeah, yeah. what's what big yeah, deal? That's this, the, come on. Yeah, this is this is fun though. I mean, it's not yeah. it's not offensive to me. You know what I mean? Like no. you guys can take jabs at me, and I'm fine yeah. with it. So yeah. again, it's it's all part of the fun, and I love yeah. kind of spark, or at least maybe contributing a little bit to like the rivalry because there's let's yeah. face it, we don't really have much of of a rivalry right now. Ottawa's in dead last in the division, so it, it, it sparks conversation, a little bit of interest. So I mean, it, it doesn't doesn't harm anybody. We'll put it that way. 
No, it's the best. We talk about it all the time, how the one thing that really is missing for hockey compared to all the other sports, because I love the product. We've all grown up mm. with it, and I love hockey. Of course, you're Canadian, you played it or you watched it your whole life. Who doesn't love it? But it really does miss the element of debate and discussion that other sports have. Like, you look at the way the NBA Agreed. markets itself, where it's all the great former NBA players, and they'll all sit down on a panel, and they'll talk about guys who are playing now critically, and they'll joke with one another, and they'll compare yeah. players, they'll compare teams, they'll have hot takes. And with hockey, we did this a lot with the Matthews McDavid thing, how, okay, you can talk about Matthews McDavid, and then everyone gets their backup, right? There's all these people in hockey who go, how dare you? You know, that's not even a thing that you can discuss. That's, right. that's not right. That's, that's not in the spirit of the game. And you go, okay, well, what are we supposed to talk about then, right? Like, what's yeah. fun? What's fun? Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's a bit of a culture thing within our game here. I mean, I know yeah. players are, in general are fairly conservative, right? Like, you don't really hear many outspoken former players going on record analyzing games and stuff. Certainly you have varying groups working for some of the, uh, the networks, but for the most part, guys are just kind of going to hiding when they retire. So um, I, I, I certainly believe there's, there's, there's something to be said in, in, in listening to former players and what we can kind of contribute. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to do it. I, I know initially going into retirement, I had a problem with it. It was weird. It felt uncomfortable. But um, I think now that I'm about a year out, I can kind of put myself out there again, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. So you're blazing the trail, Mark. Like, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're, like, acting as oh, if no, you're a no. pioneer. <laughs> I'm not blazing a trail. Listen, there, there are guys that have already kind of found their niche. And you see guys like uh, uh, Whitney and Bissonette that are very involved on their Spitting Chicklets podcast and stuff like that. So I'm not by any means doing that. I'm just saying that, in particular, at least over here in Ottawa, we don't really have any former players in town that are outspoken and, and, and still involved into the game, maybe the way they could be in social media and, 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 and that kind of fashion. So I feel like there's an opportunity here, and I'm, and I'm enjoying it. The best part yeah. about all this is that I'm able to keep a foot in the game. Yeah. Uh, I think that those guys from Spit and Chicklets deserve a lot of credit for players and, and coming out and sharing stories a little bit more and sharing opinions, just like I think, you know, Nick Kiprios deserves always a lot of credit. I don't think Agreed. that we talk about him enough in terms of what he did for hockey opinions and guys coming out and being opinionated and doing a daily show. So, but yeah, I think yeah. that right now it, it is, it does seem to be moving in that direction, man. More guys are willing to share stories. And, and I actually think that's the most frustrating thing as a hockey fan and someone who also works in media and knows former like NHL players is that, off the record, you end up getting these incredible stories for so long, and then on the record, guys go, well, yeah. you know, you know, pucks in deep and 110%. You're like, what happened to you? You were cool like 10 seconds ago, and now you're the lamest guy who ever lived. Like, I, yeah. the dichotomy is incredible. So, uh, this, you're right. It's not a rivalry right now, Leafs and Sens, and these games are obviously, uh, they got to be a ton of fun if you're a Senators fan, where you're sending the Leafs into five days where it's a bit of a tailspin. But right. what do you what did you see from Toronto last night? Because they they let in two bad goals to start, and then game kind of gets away from them. But we've been trying to put our finger on what's different about this team since the last time they played the Senators. Do you notice anything, or is this kind of us making too big of a deal out of a bit of a cold stretch? Well, <laughs> there's a few things. I mean, there's no secret that Toronto media and the fan base can be very hard on the team, right? And I think that's attributed to the passion and 
Um, it's almost a strength that Toronto has as far as the interest uh, into the club goes. But, I mean, from what I'm seeing on the ice right now, there's not a whole lot to complain about. I mean, you got a strong team right now. And, and yes, you're, you've lost, what, five of your last six, roughly. You're on a bit of a skid right now as a team. And I know that things kind of get turned up, ended a little bit here, and the media kind of has a bit of a field day with it. And you start speculating and you figure out what the issues are. My issue, which I think is a legitimate issue that I'll agree with, would be the goaltending to a degree. It's a little inconsistent. I was a little weary. I was a, rather, let me rephrase this. I was a huge fan and thought they were the clear-cut favorite up until I watched them play against Winnipeg for a little bit there. And I feel like that Hellebuck factor is huge, right? Like you've got a goalie that's in there. And as a goaltender, certainly in the postseason, you need a guy that can steal games. It's just the way it is. You're not always going to perform your top dogs, you know, your, your Matthews, your Marners aren't always going to be dominating games, certainly in playoff-style format games. So you need a goaltender. And right now I feel like if you're going to criticize any real part of the, that lineup, no matter what some of the team members may be saying right now to back them up, I feel like your goaltending is your biggest toll, and that's something that needs to be addressed. Or maybe you just wait and you're patient and things kind of kind of level out again and it's not an issue. I mean, the save percentage isn't horrible. It's just... It's that it factor of making that big save when you need it. And I feel like that's lacking there right now, certainly for a cup contender. Yeah, and I think it's a fair one, especially when you look at... So Freddie Anderson's save percentage this season, 5-on-5, is 9.25. He's top 10. So all situations, he looks good. Penalty kill, he's brutal. And... And that's where you have to come up with those big saves, and it's cliche, but everybody says, yo, you got to be the best penalty killer when you're the goaltender, and he hasn't been. That's the truth. Reason, that's reason why they have one of the worst penalty kills in the NHL. And for fans yep. here, like when you're talking about the passion and things that are getting people anxious, it is the goaltending because of what you just said, that, yep. man, the team looks good, and this is a year where they really have a chance, and if they get out, out like undone by goaltending, it's going to be really hard for people to process. The problem is, is that there's really no way of them improving it. They other than internally having Jack Campbell show up and maybe splitting the net and showing that he could be a guy they go to in the postseason. But yeah, part of that ramping up period right now is that we're near the deadline and people want this team to make a big move. Some don't want them to do anything, but for the most part, people recognize that this team has a really good chance and they can add something. If there's one thing outside of goaltending that you would try and add, if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, what would it be? That's a tough one. I mean, I think I, I love the lineup. I, I've, I've been open about this on my podcast with Wally there. I, I've said this. You guys have, or I rather, I keep saying you guys, Toronto's really... No, we're on the team. The, we, we're, when they win. When, when they win, we, get, we say us. When they lose, we okay. say they. Yeah. Heard that's fair, that, and that's fair. I'm kind of like that too. But, but I love what they've done to the PK. They've gone from bottom tier. I think they were around, what, finished around 21, I think, last year in the league. And they're up around 11 now. So their penalty kills improved drastically. Their goals against, I believe, have improved. Um, so, And they brought in good leaders, right? Like you've got guys like Thornton. Simmons is out right now. I think that's a huge piece that's missing right now with leadership. And it's always a one guy. I know it's just one player, but he's such a great role player to have in your lineup. And he, has a, he commands a great deal of respect on the ice. He's a prime example of a guy that's sorely missed that you wouldn't maybe necessarily know it just by looking at the numbers on paper, but he's one of those guys that just brings it. And um, But otherwise, I mean, I, I, lo- I love the lineup. I can't even critique it. I think they're, they're one of my horses leading into the season, and certainly in that first half, 
I was uh, I was having them as my cup contender and maybe probably the favorite. So I'm a little weary now, though, right? With like I said earlier, that little series they had against Winnipeg's got me a little a little bit nervous. So if I'm a betting man, you know that might kind of get me a little uneasy. But I mean, as far as just figuring out the goaltending and maybe providing a little more insulation for them on that penalty kill, I don't know what you change up. But that's got to be frustrating as a fan because because the lineup itself looks unbelievable on paper. And to me, they still have a great opportunity. They just got to figure out between the pipes that little issue right there. Well, but one of the things, Mark, that they've done to mitigate the goaltending, and it's not like Freddie Anderson's been one of the worst goaltenders in the National Hockey League. No, not at all. Yeah, he was top 10 in Vesna voting a couple of years ago. But this is a different Leafs blue line, right? Like, they've done a pretty good job of mitigating high-danger chances against for the majority of the season. And it's only recently that we've started to see a few cracks in that blue line, guys giving pucks away where they hadn't and creating odd man rushes that really hadn't been there all season long. As a former defenseman, like, is that just, are you evaluating this blue line right now as just going through a rough patch right now? Or did we overestimate what they were early on in the season when they were going three games against one of the the best high-end skill teams in the Edmonton Oilers and not allowing anything? Like, okay, People have to understand that when you're playing against a team like Edmonton or in particular, a line combination that involves, you know, Dreisaitl and McDavid, for example, it doesn't matter how good you are defensively. They're still going to get opportunities. That's what makes them great. But you're right. I thought they, Toronto looked fantastic, particularly their decor earlier on in the year. And right now they're maybe in a little bit of a skid, but it's never usually exclusively just the decor. There's a lot of stuff at play. It's good back pressure from your forwards. It's better communication with your goaltender. There's a lot of random stuff going on in the ice that that you don't always necessarily see from the television standpoint. So, you know, if if this little quote-unquote skid continues for another five games, then you can start sounding off some, some alarms. And going into panic mode, which I know the fan base likes to do over there pretty often. So, and that's normal. That's not a. That's not a. You know, I'm not trying to be harsh towards them because it's the same thing in, in Montreal. You got a passionate group of people. The discussion ramps up when you start stringing together losses. Right now, there's no need to push the panic button. I think you wait another week or two. See a, See if there's a little room for improvement but from a D-man's perspective. This is going to happen. You're going to have ups and downs throughout the year. I like the decor. Again, I don't really have much of an issue with it. And I'm also comparing it to Ottawa. So there's not a whole lot to be said there as far as a comparison goes. They're miles ahead. So don't push the panic button. Everyone's just got to chill. Wait wait it out a little bit more here. I think goaltending should be the main focus. And the the decor will just, it'll, it'll pick it up again. That's normal. They've got some experience back there, some veteran leadership. They'll be fine. Yeah, I think, though, the more we're talking, it's just uh, about, yeah, man, between the pipes and how this is affecting the team. Like, yeah. I, I just, I'm, I'm thinking right now about, I, I actually remember when you left Ottawa, how pissed Sens fans were. Like, I'm from the Ottawa Valley. That's where my yeah. family lives. And all my cousins and aunts and uncles talking about how, you know, you could play with Carlson and they let you go and all this stuff. But then, you know, they did go in the tank the next year, right? That's why it was yeah. the big discussion. But, hey, if you really think about it, it's because Craig Anderson fell off a cliff. It was yeah. one year great. And then the next year, terrible, and you go from being in a Eastern Conference Finals in a game uh, away from beating the Penguins to, I don't, I think, like, dead last 
in the Atlantic. I, it was I, bad. They were bad. Like that was a yeah. bad season for Ottawa. And okay, yeah, yeah, right. Freddie Anderson hasn't fallen off of a cliff, but he also doesn't look like the guy he was when he first arrived in Toronto, or the guy that left Anaheim, who had so much promise. That there is a little bit of a slippage. What what does that do to the room when you've got a goaltender that it's such a fragile position mentally? You can't really have guys calling out a goalie the way that you call out, you know, your D partner no. if he makes a lazy play. Like, how do, how do you handle something like that? Do guys talk about it privately and it kind of bubbles over? Because I just would imagine it being so awkward. Yeah, it can. It can. And, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, I guess, compound this situation any more than it already is because these are the discussions that are the reason – they create all the pressure on these goaltenders in these big markets, right? Like we're a prime example right now of how hard it is to be a goaltender for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's not easy, but uh, from, yeah, you're right though. From, from a, from a teammate's perspective. Yeah, sure. I mean, you're going to start asking questions certainly when the expectation level is incredibly high for that particular year. And maybe your goaltender's not necessarily living up to that level, um, there'll be rumblings a little bit here and there, but you're always going to have his back at the end of the day, and you're going to do everything you can to try to get his confidence back up. And you have to be very careful. You made a really good point. You can't tear a strip off him like you would your deep partner. Like Eric Eric Carlson used to snap at me on the bench if I didn't give him the puck on any given point uh, on the blue line, and I'd yell at him. I'd be like, dude, I'm not I'm not Paul Coffey. Like, I, I don't see the ice like you can. You know what I mean? So, so and that's – but that's just – that, that varying level of competitiveness between different players on the team. But, but in, in respect to the goalie, yeah, I mean, guys are going to talk, but they're probably really tight. I'm assuming they have a great group there. I mean, how could you not when you're leading the division, more or less? I know Winnipeg's creeping, but they're, they're going to be just fine. I think that the real question mark as we keep going over and over here is your goaltending, and they're going to have to come up with some ways to try to get his confidence back. But there's no secret pill for that, right? I mean, Right now, you just gotta you gotta find it within your group. You're certainly not gonna go out there and find it at the de- the deadline. I know Dubas has done a really good job at putting together a great winning group, he, and he's done that. He's, he's delivered, right? So you have it right there on the ice in front of you. You just have to figure out a way to better insulate your goaltending, provide a little better support for him, just to get his confidence back up. And I think at that point, then you got nothing to worry about. But no team is perfect. Everyone's got a weakness here or there. Right now, Toronto's is their goaltending and finding that consistency and I don't have a direct answer I don't know how you address it yeah well I'll say this man yeah we're in the same boat as you where we look at them and we think they're the best team even the games they played against Winnipeg uh the one that they lost the first one they looked like the better team and Hellebuck had to be incredible for them he was amazing it was a yeah he was almost perfect over two games and the Leafs really struggled to score on them they win the game in overtime great but ultimately Toronto still looked better and the formula seems to be clear for Winnipeg to beat them they need Hellebuck to play that way four times in a series cool Leafs most fight like they still have the best record most things are pretty good but that's what happens in seasons like this right you get anxious because you're worried about potentially blowing it and potentially losing it and the reason I bring up the goalie thing is yeah those guys are tight with Freddie Anderson like Matthews is very close to him and you don't have that same way to vent about a player to his face or discuss it with him and so I I always wonder if it's kind of like real life or when you're even a kid and you're playing this where 
when you have to carry somebody and you can't really say to them what you're really yeah. feeling, it, it, it adds this other layer of burden to you so that it comes out in other areas. So now if you can't say to Freddie Anderson, hey, man, you got to figure this out better or you got to do this better or have an honest conversation, if you're in a game and he lets in a bad one and puts you behind the eight ball or there's a couple of goals and all of a sudden you're looking at it and you're down, it's 4-2 and you're trying to come back, I would just imagine that it's harder as a player to lock in and, and feel as confident when you're playing in front of a guy who's struggling, especially given that you constantly kind of have to be coddling him as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't even argue that. I mean, it's, it's, it's got to, it'll, it'll have a mental effect for sure. I don't know that it's as maybe bad as we're talking about right now, but it's certainly at the yeah. back of your mind. And maybe when you're a leader on that team and the expectation level is very high, then there's an argument to be made there. Maybe you're right. Maybe that does weigh on you a little bit because you know the fan base is going to be incredibly sensitive. I mean, when's the last time the team has passed the first round, right? So people are really nervous right now, and they want to make sure that you're, you're looking for comfort and that your team will succeed. So the pressure is certainly going to be on all those top dogs on the team. And I mean, that's part of growing in the NHL and figuring things out. You gotta figure, this is a little adversity. Big deal. Deal with it. You know, and this is... This is the position they're in, and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, we, we go back and forth analyzing every angle, but at the end of the day, they're going to solve it in that room. And, yeah, okay, there might be a little more pressure on, on some of your top guys, but, I mean, this is, what makes, this is why they're getting paid over $10 million a year, and this is why it's their job to make sure the team succeeds, and if they don't, then it's considered a failed season. So, um, for me, it goes back to my original point. You're in the room, you've got to figure it out, and I, I don't know the recipe for that right now. Yeah, and uh, my guess is that the Jets uh, at some point this season are going to lose back to back in regulation because it hasn't exactly. Happened yeah, and, and, yeah, 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 and you can't you can't rely. You made a really good point. You guys made a fantastic point. For them to win, they need Hellebuck to be like out of this world for four games, right? So, I mean, again, no need to panic if you're a Toronto fan. As much as I would love to instill fear in your fan base, I I can't. I, I got to be honest, and the team looks very good. So it is what it is. Yeah, That's but it like, kind of sounds oh, like you're actually doing I the bad know. thing, you know, where, you know, <laughs> I don't evilest, trust you. The most evil like, thing yeah, he's done like, is, ah, like, no, there's no great. reason. Yeah, there's you know, no reason. I, you're I, perfect. I'm playing the long great. game. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, exactly. It's all part of the big plan. I, I know, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. I've done it before too. Uh, <laughs> that's right out of my playbook. You think you could steal my moves and not have me know? I know, I know what's going on, buddy. I know what's going on. Hey, man, congrats on the new show, and uh, thanks for making time to, for us today. Again, it's the uh, the Wally and Mathot show. Uh, you're doing a great job, and yeah, obviously we're gonna have you on again soon. Beauty, thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. See you, buddy. See you, Mark. Yeah. There's Mark Mathot, former Ascense defenseman. Yeah, uh, kindred spirit. He's taking. Your moves. He's also yeah. doing your thing, getting teeth replaced, going to the dentist all the time. Oh, yeah, I forgot to talk to him about that. Yeah, I got dentist appointment in 30 minutes. Last one, though. You know, all the cavities, <laughs> all the holes are filled. Although my yeah. dentist probably today will be like, oh, it turns out there's a couple more we got to have figured. Honestly, if that's the case, I have to say, knock them all out and let me just have the dentures in peace. I'll wear the glue or whatever <laughs> i don't care i just i can't do it here's anymore i live guess. there i can't do it anymore here's my guess your dentist is shocked that you're still showing up for these things he, yeah. he never thought he'd get to week three but he's ecstatic yeah. oh. so is his accountant all right <laughs> see you tomorrow bye-bye subscribe to the podcast